I'm Nylon, the Associate Artistic Director of the Drama League in New York City. Welcome to Talking Direction, the behind-the-scenes podcast going deep into the world of theater, film, television, and online content to celebrate directors, those visionary artists at the center of plays, musicals, movies, and TV shows enjoyed around the world. Each week, we welcome acclaimed guests to explore imagination, risk-taking, and craft, as well as looking at the past, present, and future of the creative industries. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you find your podcast. We're available on all platforms or by visiting dramaleague.org. Thanks for listening and for talking direction. Welcome to Talking Direction. A graduate of Yale University and the Royal Scottish Academy of Music and Drama, Ari Edelson is a director and producer who has worked across the United States and internationally. In 2006, his revival of Blood Wedding at the Theater Project in Tokyo, Japan, won the prestigious Yomiuri Award. A year later, in New York, his production of The Attic would garner an Obie Award as well. His work has been seen at La Jolla Playhouse, Long Wharf, The Old Vic, Circle in the Square, the Royal National Theater, Theater Royal Haymarket, The Vineyard, The New Group, New World Stages, The Cherry Lane Theater, and more. But Ari also leads one of the most influential arts accelerators in the United States in his role as artistic director of the internationally renowned Orchard Project. Formerly the Jean Cocteau Repertory, the company transformed itself under Ari's leadership beginning in 2007. The Orchard Project is committed to the creation of bold new work by the most innovative artists from around the world, providing support to theater makers and other artists at the forefront of their forms. To date, the Orchard Project has propelled over 250 ideas into production, including Broadway plays and musicals, television shows, films, and digital works loved by millions around the globe. He is also the co-founder of Culture Craver, a social recommendation engine for culture that is working to transform the way people connect with and discover culture. Ari has been a guest director at New Dramatists, a Drama League Directing Fellow, and has taught at Northwestern and Fordham Universities. Please join me in giving a big talking direction welcome to Ari Edelson. Hi, Ari. Hello. Thank you so much for being here. It's great to talk to you. Oh, likewise. I'm such a fan of this podcast. I'm going to say it many, many times. (laughs) Thank you so much. I am equally a fan of yours, as you know. We've known each other for the better part of 20 years. I feel like we should say that to listeners. Um, And I find you one of the most inspiring thinkers in our field. So I'm really excited to share you and your um, wisdom and observations with with the Talking Direction audience. Um, But let's begin with what I think is um, a pretty interesting trifecta in your life. You are a uh, director, um, but you're also an arts leader and you're also a producer. Um, And those are three pretty distinctive hats to wear as well as you wear them. Um, I'm curious if that was at the beginning of your career, always the plan, you know, where, where did you start in your evolution as an artist and, and how did you end up uh, in this place doing all of these things? Well, I will say from the get-go that I was extremely fortunate um, in, you know, in, uh, in my youth uh, to have access 
uh, to extraordinary arts mentorship and training. And I think that so much of, you know, what, I think so much of one's ability to sort of feel the freedom of making these choices comes from, uh, from having support around you uh, that allows you to take those risks. And uh, whether it was even in my senior year of high school or in college uh, or after college, uh, I just count my blessings and how fortunate I was both within my family and these sort of other structures that were around me uh, that allowed me to sort of experiment and try things. And, you know, through those experiments and through those various mistakes and successes uh, that came out of them, I realized that while I really, really enjoyed being a, you know, an interpretive directing artist, which I think is very much what, uh, what I studied uh, as a director, was that there were all these other components of the arts ecosystem that I really wanted to participate in. And so when you, you know, as, you know, as I think many people realize, when you start going whole hog into one part of this vocation, you sometimes do it at the exclusion of other parts of the vocation. And um, I was just really, really excited to every once in a while say, okay, is there another way for me to do this that would give me the opportunity to not necessarily work in a bubble? Uh, and so uh, I had a very unusual trajectory after college. I think many, you know, many American directors sort of look at uh, getting some work under their belt, then going to graduate school and getting an MFA at one of many amazing American institutions, and now actually happily, that's not necessarily always the path. Um, and then sort of working forward from there. My, you know, my journey took me to Scotland, and then from Scotland down to London, uh, and then from London down to Tokyo, over to Tokyo. So sorry. So my journey took me from America over to Scotland, from Scotland down to London, and then from London over to Tokyo, uh, where I would have to say I got a second graduate degree. Uh, working in Japan, and uh, and uh, my reintroduction back to the states and back to the artistic ecosystem of American theater didn't really happen properly until 2006 or so, uh, and I was you know uh, at that moment in time working as a freelance director in and around a number of places here in New York City, teaching in Chicago in the summers, running a new work program for the Old Vic in London for three months a year. And uh, and I lucked in um, I lucked in in one way or another into discovering this amazing opportunity to create a new program uh, for artists. And this was a program that uh, well, the backstory is actually <laughs> the backstory is kind of funny. There was a fundraiser for the Old Vic, and uh, and at the fundraiser, somebody says, "I will only donate money to the Old Vic if." This guy who's running your new play program comes up to the Catskills and looks at this abandoned, dirty dancing resort uh, <laughs> that that I'm funding, and we're funding it to turn it into art space. And maybe your, you know, your new works guy, which was me, uh, can come up and sort of give us some advice as to what to do with this space. And I went up to the space, and it was this extraordinary, bizarre amazing thing where essentially it was hardware being built without software and i looked at it having come off a few experiences as a as a director here in, in the states thinking oh my goodness there are so many amazing innovative artists who could use this space 
And if I don't try to convince them to let us use it, someone else will. Some other, some other industry will. And that was the beginning of the Orchard Project. Um, you know, it was essentially uh, like an opportunity to say, there are so many amazing makers in the American arts ecosystem who needed space to take risks. This was possibly going to be that opportunity for them. And we started off with a week. Uh, and that week became two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. We quickly became too, you know, too big for that location, that original location in the Catskills, and moved it to Saratoga Springs, where the program now resides in summer. And so just tracking that. So this is around 2006, 2007 that you're encountering mm-hmm. this space. Um, and and I, I have never heard this story. I didn't realize it was, it was so... Um, you know, just sort of happenstance and precipitous that you become the guy that they bring in to look at it and, and all of that. What So fast forward for our listeners now to the Orchard Project, which is one of the preeminent, I think, arts development institutions in the country. What, it, what is the Orchard Project now? You know, in many ways, it's exactly the same thing as it was then, right? So sort of going back a step and then forward a step is the Orchard Project is an ongoing effort to present artists, companies, and makers with the resources of community and accountability and opportunity that allow them to accelerate their work, right? And um, and back in the time when we were in Hunter, New York, in a one blinking stoplight town uh, at the foothills of a ski resort in the summer, it was very much a place where ensembles like Tectonic or Mabu Mines or Pig Iron or the team would come and essentially iterate and develop without any pressure of showing that next new big project of theirs. And, um, and we quickly learned that by not asking for a capstone, not asking for a deliverable, we were going to be able to work on the most exciting work in the country. Um, and that's why things like uh, architecting by the team, or uh, Octoroon by Brendan Jacob Jenkins, or the Aliens, like these, you know, all the way, these projects came out of that spirit. Now, fast forward 13 years later, we are trying to serve the same artists, trying to expand the community of artists so that we are hopefully expanding the tent considerably, um, and also understanding that what it means to make work in 2021 is very different than what it means to make work in 2007, right? Back in 2007, no one was supporting devised theater. Uh, We were the only place that supported that content um, as far as a development institution. And it's fantastic that so many places have actually stepped up to the plate to do that. Um, In 2021, if you are an artist making work in the theater, you are highly likely to be trying to make work in multiple other forms. And so as an institution, now we actually have to be adaptive to the desires of these artists to actually start with a story and an urge and understand that that may go in countless different directions media-wise that it didn't necessarily go in before. Right, right. I, I, I want to drill down a bit into that because I think there are a lot of questions coming out of the pandemic about this kind of work. 
Um, and by this kind of work, I mean spaces like the Orchard Project, like the Drama League, that that are pure process spaces. Um, you know, I, I think our missions overlap a little bit in that we are both dedicated to supporting artists as they develop and grow and make work, but we're not the producers of that work. Um, uh, you know, I think audiences often don't realize that the new play or musical they are attending, you know, that that premiere they go to has often been nurtured by multiple organizations over a significant period of time. And, you know, I mean, it can be a decade or more for a piece to come to fruition. And, you know, I think I'm really curious and a lot of the artists I'm talking to in this moment are about what that shape of new play development, new musical development, new television development is going to be post-pandemic. You know, what does an industry reading look like now? What is a workshop now? How do we bring that artist-forward vision into these spaces where there is a glut of work, where there are calls for the dismantling of white supremacy and new economic models and all of that? So, you know, how are you or or the Orchard Project, you know, um, thinking about the work as an accelerator in this new era, how what, what those those things that you were talking about in 2021, how are you thinking they're going to move forward? Wow, wow, Gabriel, you've just you've just asked like five questions. All I know. The same time. Well, <laughs> I, I I don't mean I, I don't mean I'm I'm just excited by by no, being no, able to talk amazing. to someone you're, about you're, it because you're, you're asking you're asking such good questions. But let's try to unpack. Like, let's almost try to unpack each of them separate from one another, even though they are not separate from one another. And as soon as you answer one of them, then you actually probably misanswered right. another. Right. right. So, right. so starting one with like, what is the, you know, what are the roles of the quote unquote development centers, right? Like, what is the role in the ecosystem of the development centers, particularly in this moment in time? And I think what you're also saying during this moment in time is when the producers are having existential crises. Uh, like the producers of the work, the people who essentially were developing work for, in some regards, um, uh, that that they may be scaling back. There may be a great contraction uh, right. of you know of production content as well, um, and there may be um, uh, uh, an entire restructuring of their relationships to their audiences. Hopefully, knock on wood, uh, where they put a greater primacy on community building then over the play as the deliverable, right? Over the success and the commercial success of a particular play as a deliverable. Um, so the development centers, to that first question, I think development centers that, and I think that I'm using this in extremely wide application, everything from uh, the Drama League to the Orchard Project to Sundance to the O'Neill to uh, even places like McDowell and Yotto, are essentially the places for risk, right? Like they are the places for risk. Right. And and the producers in this, at least in this first question that you're asking of the five, the producers are not. You know, unless the producer's brand is risk, generally the producers are not in the business of risk. You know, and, um, and it is all the more important that we have a complementary relationship and possibly an antagonistic relationship to producers in order to encourage the risk, right? Because that is what our mission is. Our mission is risk. Like our mission is to seed the, you know, is to seed the lake with 
as much fish as we can and that the fish will grow and be fertile and support each other and create a really vibrant ecosystem. And, um, you know, their mission is basically to go fishing. Like, <laughs> like that's, it's a very, it's a very different, and we're just, and, and that's okay. But I think we also like part of, I think that one of the things that I've learned over the course of the last 14 years is that it's also important to understand that we're not in the business of producing work and they're not in the business really of developing, right? Like that is totally fine to understand that there are things that we should each actually focus on so that we can deliver to our communities in a more specific, impactful way. Um, and so that's, I think, the first, you know, the first part of this is that we have to actually lean, I think, lean more heavily into that role. Um, it is not necessarily delivering content that has been asked for. It's actually entering into a slightly more uh, two-way communication with, with what, it, what, what might, one might call the networks, uh, if we're sort of using a television analogy. Um, uh, that we're actually saying like this is you know this is actually what artists are looking to make right now and as grassroots organizations that are working on a day-to-day -day basis with artists who are both established and uh, you know and entering into the business or climbing up the ladder of the business whatever it is that's I think one of our responsibilities is to step up to the plate a little bit more and maybe Maybe make it actually a little bit safer for the producers to be taking, you know, to be actually taking on projects that uh, that they might be naturally adverse to taking on. In what I am assuming is going to be a uh, a, a very tumultuous environment for them, right? And so this is like that's I think part of you know part of this first question that I think you've asked is that production is going to be more challenging. Uh, at least in the theater ecosystem as it sort of phases back in. Um, and so we have to, like, I think we have to do a lot of collaboration to handhold with one another uh, to encourage each other to be making bigger choices. And I think, if, sorry, do, I, do I understand you? Uh, I, I love the idea that it is our job to bear the risk the, and to support creative risk in this environment um, in, in a way where producers can also embrace whatever innovations come out of that process. Um, in product, you know, if, if the development entities in our, you know, industry are able to advocate for and bring conversations that are new and different or experimental or innovative, that, producers who are not in the business of that risk um, can then find their way to it. Does that feel right to you? I, I think it, entirely right. I think that there's, you know, it is, once again, it's not a pipeline. Uh, you know, like this is what I'm trying to say. It's not a pipeline. It's a conversation, right? And, uh, and I think that um, the conversation also becomes uh, one in which uh those who are, you know, those who are actually supporting the development of the new work and the, and the artists in this very, very nebulous phase where artists are actually trying to understand what, how their point of view applies to a particular project or how their point of view may actually be, um, be articulated as a, as a general sense, which is, I think, one of the big roles that places like the Drama League and the Orchard Project serve in the life of an artist. 
um, is not just as work incubators, but point of view uh, accelerators. Um, I, I think that that also becomes a way for us to then converse with producers and our colleagues who are producers and explaining, well, th these are the things that the artists that we are working with are, are burning uh, to, to express and, um, and to understand, quite frankly, like what's in the water. Um, uh, and, and that's an exciting, that is honestly an extremely exciting problem to have, right? To be yes, able to communicate, is. like it is, it's, like it is just so wonderful to see artists put themselves out there and say, I have a story I want to tell. I am not sure who wants to listen to my story, but can you help me tell it and try to identify who the listeners may be or who my partners in this storytelling may be. And we may actually ascertain that there's a, a fit and we may ascertain that there's not. And we may be the and we also may understand that we may be the wrong people to do that work, right? We may not be capable, like we may be fallible in our own abilities to help. Um, but at this, you know, we're, we're going through the applications for the Orchard Project for 2021 right now, which will remain virtual uh, in this coming year. Um, and I, I will say that the panel who has been reading has, you know, they, they, they communicate amongst themselves and they are constantly expressing how inspired they are by, uh, by the resilience and the commitment uh, to so many artists, uh, to the pure act of giving voice. Yeah, I think I would say the same. We we have had our application cycle um, for this moment, and I think the artistic staff of the Drum League are are consistently inspired and motivated by the uh, force of of will and creativity that artists are showing at this moment. It's it's really something. Um, before we leave this, I just I wrote it down when you were speaking that this is not a pipeline, it's a conversation. Um, and I'd love to tease that out a little bit more with you. Um, because I think one thing that has been uh, clear for years and certainly has been lifted up during this moment is that the idea of a pipeline, of course, is based in a starvation um, eco economy model, uh, you know, that uh, and a scarcity model in, in our field. Um, that there's this one pipeline through which things can travel. Um, and it's in, and it, you know, the supremacy of that idea has been revealed. Um, as we move to what I really love, which is the idea we're not pipelines, we're conversations, you know, I wonder what kind of role the Orchard Project and, and all of the organizations like the Orchard Project, um, have to play in that conversation. You know, I mean, we obviously can't determine what work gets produced, right? But right. but we can amplify and bring attention to the as you say, the the stories that artists want to tell. So, right, right. you know, is, you're 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 hitting on so now you're hitting on questions 2 through 5 of the previous <laughs> questions that you asked, right? So so you're talking like Gabriel, this is exactly you're you're hitting on the other components of like what's our, you know, emerging into 2021, 2022, and beyond. Um, not only what do we do, but what do we all do, right? right. And, right. and I think that, um, you know, I, I, without having give short shrift to the other four questions, you were sort of layering into that original one. This is very much at the core of it, which um, is not falling prey to the ongoing fallacy of the scarcity 
right? Um, that that we cannot, as we actually all dig deep and try to understand how we can emerge from the many events of this year and also the past four years um, as stronger and better citizens and you know and artists. Um, that that we all do it with a huge amount of humility and that we're not necessarily trying to actually just make the old model work for us, right? Like that actually we have to really sort of go back and say, as you're saying, the scarcity model is actually fundamentally uh, antithetic uh, and, uh, and oppositional to the idea of the joy that we are actually hoping to, to bring to one another <laughs> through the creative process, right? And so um, on one level, so like going into your question, on one level, I think the pipeline question needs to be extremely unpacked as to questions of where are we replacing, um, uh, the pipeline model needs to be unpacked to sort of try to identify where we are once again, um, holding on to the sort of the, the, the scarcity model, but necess not necessarily really addressing its failings. And um, and part of that is replacing one version of um, of gatekeeping with another version of gatekeeping that might actually have different parameters. Um, and I think that we have to sort of really try to think how do we increase uh, just the universe in general, um, because by creating a by creating a spirit of abundance. By actually trying to actually have conversations about efficiencies and inefficiencies, we actually can create, uh, at least this is my own humble opinion, and I am still very much a student of this, an understanding that there are so many more opportunities than challenges that lie ahead. And you know, a perfect example of this is when you take a look at uh, a theater producer who is currently spending um, let's just say on an antic contract here in New York City, an off-Broadway nonprofit contract spending $400,000, $500,000 uh, on, you know, on say six productions a year, right? So they're doing, you know, they're spending about $3 million over the course of the year on six stories that they, that they tell. Is there a way that coming out of the pandemic, that $6 million, $3 million, sorry, $3 million that they're spending is there a way that that $3 million can be applied and used to accelerate and empower the storytelling of more than just six stories? Right. And, right. right. And, you know, and have we also just even in the last year identified opportunities where, um, where that, you know, where those new forms of storytelling may exist and that we may be able to sort of think a little bit more outside of the box, whether it's be through, uh, digital production or other, you know, or, uh, you know, other modes of production that open up the opportunity to not only put more voices on stage, but also empower more voices in your audience as well. Um, and so that's, that's a really exciting question for us all to start addressing rather than saying, okay, there's still just going to be six slots at that theater right. in 2022. And right. if we just sort of say, Okay, we can't even have that conversation. Let's just take that off the table. Like we just can't even have that conversation about those six slots. Then it's actually extremely interesting. 
Well, and it and it's not only exciting, but it's going to require experimentation, right? Like it's like every institution is going to have to wrestle with this. And I, and I wanted to make sure today that I got to uh, praise you and the Orchard Project for what was for me one of the great experiences artistically of the pandemic. And it was one of these experimentations. Um, uh, so when the pandemic hit, the, the Orchard Project pivoted, um, you know, as so many of us had to, um, and started some what you called labs um, uh, to explore liveness and a number of topics in this moment where we couldn't be in real space together. And, and um, it felt like I, I don't know how many people were on these Zooms. It felt like the entire American theater showed up at, at uh, the Orchard Project, uh, easily over 100 people. Um, and you had thinkers from around the world come in to, you know, demystify technology and talk about what exploration could be ramped up in these areas. And I, I was always curious because I got to see your face as one of the many boxes on these Zooms. Um, you know, what was the experience for you bringing all of these theater creators together to have this very new and fragile discussion. How did, how did that feel for you? Uh, honestly, like with so many other things, you, you know, I, I, I see my, I, I, I see my role as very humbling, right? It's extremely expiring to sort of see where if you just plant a seed, then all of a sudden where people take it. And I think that the idea of the Orchard Project from its get-go has been to lead into sort of more emergent systems um, to sort of say, okay, we're just going to actually create wind. We're not sure if it's going to rain, right? We're just gonna, <laughs> and, um, and that's kind of been a philosophy from the get-go. Okay, let's bring these people together. They're not doing the same thing. They're not at the same stage of their process. Uh, they're all very, very curious about process and they work in a different way. We're going to make sure that we feed them all, right? And and that very simple set of factors got combined into what became the Orchard Project, right? And it became a question of like, okay, then who's at the dinner table in physical space? That, when we sort of like went into March of 2020 and I emerged from having COVID myself and we sort of woke up from the initial shock um, of the world, you know, being put on pause, the Orchard Project took a step back and realized that we had enough capital in our bank accounts that it made absolutely no sense for us not to push forward and support as much work as we could. And, uh, and when we thought about how we would hopefully bring credit to the artistic community, that was not only the 1200 artists who have been through, but also the thousands and thousands and thousands of artists that hopefully one day we might have the joy of working with this idea of the liveness lab came up, which was this question of saying, what is this thing going to be for all of us who are storytellers versed in live communal storytelling, right? How do we communicate with each other during this time and beyond? And not only are, how are we going to get through the next few months, because back then we thought it was only going to be a few months, but like, what is going to be the forms that we're essentially creating in the future? And, you know, Abby, you know, Abby Marcus, uh, who uh, was our managing director uh, at the time is, you know, is actually, now it's public knowledge is going to be taking over Cincinnati Playhouse as a park as a managing director. And we're very excited about that. She and I would talk countlessly about, wouldn't it be interesting to have a lab in which projects weren't the deliverable process wasn't deliverable, but almost new platforms might be the deliverable. 
and that we might bring enough people together where there might be something that comes out of a conversation in which they say, this is going to be a new platform for making work during this time. And lo and behold, without any, you know, honestly, without any major push from us, except bringing extremely curious and amazingly talented people together, that's exactly what happened. Magic shows that are now playing at ART came out of the process and plays by mail that were done by companies, you know, in Pittsburgh uh, and artistic stamp came out of the process. It's, it's been so inspiring to see how people have actually leaned into their storytelling needs and come up with new mediums uh, to, you know, to express them during this time. I I was staggered, honestly. They, in as part of the Liveness Lab, I attended my first performance on Twitch. I uh, I was in the conversations with Artistic Stamp, and we had them on the podcast a a, a few weeks ago. Um, it really was one of the most fulfilling moments of watching artists embrace what is possible um, in this moment, um, and it felt somehow. Um, in what I think about you always, um, Ari, which is that you are an innovator, not only as a creative artist, but an innovator in the way you think about systems and in the way you think about the, um, the underlying structures of, of art making in the world. Um, you know, I, just personally, I, I want to say, you know, you and I have had coffee over the years and, and every time we talk, you know, you've said, you know, you've, you've said, hey, maybe there's a way to do the production model of commercial work differently that is director inclusive. And, and that stayed with me for years or, or, you know, the funding propositions of our field. And I, I guess I just, you know, I guess I want to say thank you for that. But I also want to say I miss having those conversations with you on a regular basis that we were able to have during before the pandemic. And I wonder if, as you look around at the field right now, we're recording this um, in the middle of May. So obviously the theater is not reopened yet, but there are signs that it is very clear we will be reopening in the in the coming months. Um, I wonder as you look around the field, what what is exciting you right now? What what are you seeing where you go? Ah, that's something we should, as a field, we should chase down. Is there anything like that that you're seeing? Oh, I'd love to know your opinions on this too, Gabriel. Um, I, I'm once again, I'm always, I, I apologize. I'm like always two questions behind. So, so, <laughs> Whatever so, those first five <laughs> questions were, forget them. It was too so, many. Yeah. So, no, but they're all connected. So, you know, so I was, I was like, oh, I was still two questions ago. Um, because back to your question about what does uh, this question of being a pipeline mean? What does it mean to sort of be like rethinking? Uh, the the levels of access that we're providing into this world it's that is actually very much what i think is sort of part and parcel with what's exciting at the moment right so um there are a few things that i actually do think have been very exciting uh developments coming out of you know coming out of the last year and and one you know one has been the blurring of the lines from what it means to be making sort of in situ theater in real estate based you know, real, real estate-based performance and what might actually be a performative events uh, as a larger, you know, as a larger construct. And, and the truth is that there are many of us who actually sort of always thought that those lines were blurred. And there's, and, and honestly, there's also a lot of online theater that's pretty bad, right? So it's been a lot of experimentation. So there's a lot to this universe. 
But the blurring of those lines is actually something that I think we're only seeing the beginnings of. It's almost like the when the first, you know, like when the first video games were made and people were like, oh my God, Pong. Whoa, <laughs> Pong is so good. Right? Like we're just seeing the beginning of this participatory, engaging version of communal meets digital, right? Liveness and digital together. And I and and where that goes, I don't know, but we have, you know, we have we have had to open it up uh, in the last, you know, in the last year. Things like this platform that you're recording a podcast on, as you know, Zencaster didn't even really exist in the same way a year right. ago. Right. Right. So the ability to create audio production values in a decentralized fashion is extraordinary. And and I think for you know for a listener to this podcast, they may think, oh well, what does that mean for me? This gets into the second really exciting thing, which is barriers to production are continuing to evaporate right and they're continue like the cost of production in one way or the other to actually get a minimally viable product that actually can sort of determine whether or not there is a essentially a a, a community conversation that is beginning to happen in an organic way those barriers to entry are lowering and lowering by the day and once again, like this, you know, like Zencaster or um, Riverside.fm in the in the in the podcasting sphere are really great examples of ways that we've taken people out of studios, right? Like we've like we've erased the studio. Now we don't need a studio to make this stuff anymore. And the same thing is happening in the theater. We're lowering, you know, we're lowering the bar to entry, which is really exciting. And I think the second part, which is back in this, and this is once again, all connected to two questions ago about access, um, is that we are finally acknowledging that, that part of the problem of the scarcity model is also the definition that you get to be an artist and you don't. Right, right. Um, that instead of us actually saying, okay, well, we actually have to really sort of open up our mindset of who we're including here. And then we still look for people who graduated from the same five or six graduate programs needs to also be, you know, needs to be challenged. And instead we have people like Mo Willems, who if any, you know, if, uh, if you had kids, you'd know exactly who Mo Willems is. Um, but you have people like Mo Willems, extraordinary children's artist getting onto the Kennedy Center's YouTube channel at the beginning of the pandemic and teaching us all how to draw. And that sense that we're all a cartoonist is something that's also coming out at this moment. And so combining those two things of understanding that it is, it is, not, only, um, uh, it is not only an expression of entitlement and privilege to sort of control of the scarcity model, but it's also an expression of entitlement and privilege to define who is the artist is also something that I think is being challenged at this moment in time and something that I think we're all going to learn a lot from. And places that are creating extremely de democratic grassroots opportunities for storytelling are places that are extremely inspiring to watch, right? And that is everything from TikTok to, um, you know, honestly, to uh, uh, to online monologue competitions um, that one can spot at this time. Well, and it, I found it so inspiring to watch in this time the idea of lanes or or discipline specific 
work start to blur and mix and evaporate you know the the some of these pieces the idea that someone is a designer and someone is a director and someone is a writer and someone is you know the performer is is just blurring at a um rapid rapid rate you know um and starting to see creativity um not only i'm even hybrid seems to be too small a word for for what i'm seeing out there is that there's a real sort of realignment of how we approach the the skills of art making um but it does also make me realize that we you know i don't know how long we've been going now but like we have not talked about you as a director um we we kind of leapt into your work as a, <laughs> as a as a producer and artistic director i'd love to know if like you as the artist yourself, as the interpretive director that you identified early on when we were talking, um, you know, how is how is this moment and these ideas affecting your own artistic work, uh, if it if it is at all? You know, we're all, you know, I think we're all very local at the moment as far as, and I mean that meaning like what are... Um, what's resonating with us, what are problems that we are trying to solve, what, you know, and uh, what, what is driving us as artists. And and I, I definitely think that, you know, for me, uh, this has been a year in which I have been extremely fortunate to have such a wonderful, you, you know, family unit around me of two extremely curious little boys, uh, a wonderful wife and partner. Uh, and, um, and so, so much of actually the work that I'm excited to investigate is the, you know, is, is actually directly related to the three of them, right? And that's, that's partially work that I think will challenge them about the, you know, what it means to be a good citizen as we reemerge um, and the debates that come up about that. And also, I think that one of the great things about the last year has been that we've all discovered, uh, and this is like... I think, well, maybe not all of us have discovered, but a lot of us have actually rediscovered senses of awe. Um, and um, and that is partially related to our sense of awe about science uh, and about how the universe works. Uh, and that has become a major theme in the, pro you know, in the projects that I am working on as a director right now. I'm working on everything from a book about, adapting a book about physics uh, to a play that I'm going down to Arkansas and directing this summer uh, about a primatologist um, uh, to a, you know, to a podcast uh, about, um, about rebirth. And all of them to me are sort of that same thing of, okay, in a year in which we've all Marie kondo ourselves and sort of tried to, right. you know, try to kind of like, what is it like discover more joy? And uh, it's also you know, it's like discover more impact, more joy. Like there's many different ways to put it and, uh, and try to double down on those things that bring us that inspiration. Yes. That's resonating so deep in me. I feel like I need to take a, a breath right there and, and sort of sit in that as, as we move forward. It has been, it is a time now to rediscover what makes us joyous in doing this work. Um, yeah, and, and, I, and, I, and I think, well, but, I, but going back, I think it's like joy does not necessarily always need to be pleasurable, right? Like joy, true, true. you know, it joy can actually yeah. can be, you know, can be off-putting in the discovery of something that's dangerous. Yes. Uh, and so it could be, 
you know, sort of having the mirror put to yourself and discovering something that's wrong can also be joyous in its own way. I, I, at least for me, and this is also, you know, once again, part of like kind of the, how my universe has shrunk during a pandemic a bit to my family unit. My father, you know, my father is a biologist uh, and dermatologist and immunologist. And, um, and so much of, I think, the way that I think about storytelling, I think, is influenced by this hero of mine, right? It actually happens to be like one of the, you know, one of the big products I've released during the, you know, I've sort of shared with the world during, you know, during the pandemic is the story of him and the other doctors who avoided going to Vietnam uh, and became sort of the immunologists, currently the backbone of American science community, including some guy that now everybody knows about named Tony Fauci, right? Right. Um, right? And this, and, you know, an Audible. We we made this, you know, we made this podcast for Audible that Alan Alda uh, uh, interviewed all of them right before the pandemic. And of course, then everybody says, "Oh, oh, immunology is important." So <laughs> much of you know, <laughs> so much of you know, so much of like I think where I'm, you know, that sense of awe that I had when my father was explaining his research to me. Is something that I think I've tried to lean into uh, coming, you know, coming out of the pandemic, which is trying to remember that sense of curiosity as to what it means to be an active American. Yes, yeah, it it has been a really interesting experience for me um, and many of us who have been longtime HIV activists. I'm I'm dating myself, but the, um, the to watch America discover Tony Fauci. Um, in this moment, he, you know, was such a leading figure in the, in the eighties and nineties in, during the, the plague years. And now to watch America sort of learn how this man moves through the world and why immunology is such a, a vital, vital, um, um, discipline. It's been really fascinating to, to experience with that. Um, so I know that we're coming to the end of our time together. And I just, um, you know, I, I feel like I want another hour with you. Um, but let me um, bring it to a question that I am asking a lot of people, you know, we have a lot of um, emerging artists uh, who listen to this podcast and are sort of wrestling with how they move through this moment. Um, and I'm wondering if I could sort of uh, frame and ask you, you know, um, knowing what you know now, thinking back to that person who had uh, gone to London, moved to Tokyo, then came to America and sort of found their way through equal parts of skill and serendipity. Um, if there's any advice that you would give to your younger self, um, you know, if there was something you know now that you wish you had known then, um, what might what advice might you you know pay backwards in that way? Uh, that's a great question. I, I'm wondering if my answer to your question is less advice that I would give myself, but also advice that I'm actually still trying to lean into right now. Sure, sure, like Gabriel. Which is that um, I think you know, one of the things about, you know, one of the things about the, uh, the ecosystem of both creating new, you know, new work, supporting the development of new work, championing, identifying, and hopefully creating resources that allow artists who are making new work to support each other, 
which is, I think, what the Orchard Project and the Drama League are both engaged in. A huge part of that is really clearing the runway for people to to refine and identify their points of view. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and points of view do not necessarily need to always be agreed upon. Um, and that's, you know, one of the things that I think is really important is, as we all encourage each other to make, to make work and to make work that resonates is to really enjoy the process of deciding not only what you like, but also what you'd never make. And I think that one of the, this does go back to something that I probably would like to tell myself in retrospect, which is there's so much that actually is really great to say no to. And the process of saying no is actually also a liberating process in some ways as you refine your point of view. Um, it may not be saying no to the project, but it might be saying no to doing it in a particular way or telling a story in a particular way. And um, and I think that there's you know there's there's something particularly as we once again uh, try to try to bring more joy uh, and discover more joy out of the Marie Kondoing of all of our existences coming out of pandemic, where we should be encouraging each other to focus on what our own points of view are and what does not necessarily fit inside them. And that, uh, that, you know, somebody once explained to me that mission is what you aim to do and vision is actually a clear definition of the stuff you'd never do. Hmm. And I think it's a really great time for us all to just lean into vision and be okay with that and to enjoy our differences in those ways. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, that's, that's, that's something that I think is, you know, extremely important for a younger artist, but I will tell you, <laughs> I'm trying to remind myself every day how okay it is to say no. Well, and what's interesting about hearing that for me is this advice, you know, runs exactly counter to what I was told now decades ago as i was an early career artist which was say yes to everything do everything you just need your you need your work to be seen same here same here and and i i think that you can have the i think that we probably if we both go back to our histories i'm sure that we could find a way where you can you can actually manage the two together right it's not necessarily say no to every project but it is actually to also understand as you are trying to define what Gabriel or Ari's point of view is, and that that is actually the the interpretive lens by which um, we are able to bring credit to projects that we are working on, relationships that we are working on, to also understand what that ex- what that how that may actually have an exclusionary factor to it that creates space for other people. Right. Yeah. It's not, you know, it, it actually, it, it's actually liberating to understand that I may not be the best person to tell that story. Right. But boy, wouldn't it be wonderful for me to actually champion the person who is. Yes. And, and that articulation of self is just, it, it washes over me as being a healthier approach for any young artist to use those moments to figure out what, is right for you and what is 
not. You know, that, that when I was told, do everything you can, be seen, do the, you know, the late night show on a Thursday at 11 o'clock because, you know, someone will see it and they will move your career forward. That was always based in scarcity. That was always based in supremacy. That was always based in a, if you don't do it, someone else will kind of um, philosophy, uh, putting artists in competition with one another. And what what this advice says to me is, you know, what is what is your journey and figuring out what your um, interests and passions and skills all come together is what makes you unique, um, feels like a better uh, way for an artist to move through space than, than that advice I got 25, 30 years ago. I think so. I think it'll make us, it'll definitely make us uh, support each other a little bit more, I think. Um, and understand how we can complement each other without competing with one another, uh, which I think is like a very, very key part of moving forward. Um, but I think from like a very pragmatic programming standpoint, if a theater is actually programming those six shows and spending that $3 million, like back to our example earlier, and they are trying to actually sort of just get the play to be the thing for each of the six, then an audience comes and they say, oh, I didn't like the last play. I'm not going to the next. But if there's actually a larger conversation happening at that theater about what that theater stands for, and once again, what you would never see when you go to that theater, like a clear definition of what that theater would never do, then the conversation of each show becomes part of that larger conversation, right? It becomes a much bigger conversation than, oh, I liked it, I didn't like it. And that, as community builders, becomes much more uh, organically generative than all of these one-offs. Yes, ab absolutely, absolutely. Um, Ari, you, uh, thank you for this time. It is always inspiring to talk to you and i'm oh, so glad I, 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 I wish i could have turned the tables on you and just asked you questions <laughs> for this time. well maybe we'll do that sometime but it it i'm so glad we got to like put this one on tape um and uh or whatever this isn't tape this is digital whatever this is but uh, you know thank you for everything you're doing i really appreciate um these thoughts and you know thank you for leading us where we're going. I, I, it comforts me to know uh, that the the future of this industry is in people who are thinking as deeply as you are. So thanks for being Thank here. You. I'm, I'm, I'm honored. Thanks a lot. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Talking Direction. Join us every week by subscribing while you're here. Also, let us know what you think. You can follow us and engage with us directly on all social media platforms with the handle at DramaLink. Talking Direction is a project of the DramaLink of New York, America's only not-for-profit lifelong home for stage directors and the audiences who treasure their work on stage and films on television and across the internet. During the pandemic, we're providing essential services to help theater folk and their families who are suffering from economic and health struggles due to COVID-19. If you'd like to join us in this effort, visit dramalink.org and click donate or become a member. We'd love to have you a part of our Drama League family. 
Thank you for listening. Until next time.